This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. June the 29th, 1958, the final of the World Cup in Stockholm, Sweden against Brazil. Brazil were a goal down early on in the game, but what shook the soccer world of the day and transformed his country's chances was the brilliance of a 17-year-old newcomer, Edson Pelé. This was the goal that gave Brazil the World Cup for the first time and proved to the public that a new soccer superstar was taking his place on the international stage. Pelé streaking away, there's a beautiful pass for him. He's round the goalkeeper, just let him run off, and he's gone, no! The most magnificent dummy. And Gerson, as Pelé is running, is Pelé, Pelé now! Yes, there it is! That is the touch of a master! Rivellino, and it's Pelé, he's got it! Yes, the football world lost arguably its greatest ever player a few days ago with the passing of Pelé at the age of 82. Edson Arantes Donacimento, to give him his full name, was an icon, winning three World Cups, scoring 636 goals in 618 games for Santos and 77 in 92 for his beloved Brazil. Joining us on the line now from Rio de Janeiro is the one and only Tim Vickery. Yeah, Tim, thank you so much uh, for your time. We won't keep you too long. Uh, Pele's funeral took place yesterday. Thousands of mourners braving uh, searing heat to pay their respects. What, what's the reaction been like generally in Brazil to his passing? Well, we're still in the wake at the moment. It's the last couple of hours of the wake. Then we'll have a procession through the streets of Santos and then a private ceremony for for the family and the actual burial. Um, it's it's not as hysterical as the loss of, of Ayrton Senna in 1994 because that was Senna was taken at the peak of his powers in action as a young man, and it was a huge surprise and a huge shock. With Pelé, there was time. We knew it was happening, so there was time to brace yourself for it. Uh, and then we had a little pause. We had Saturday was New Year's Eve. Sunday was the inauguration of the new president, Lula. And then Monday, you're back on full on Pele. And I think in that little pause, it had allowed it to sink in a little bit. He's not here anymore. Someone who all through our lives, Simon, has been the reference. You know, when we were seven-year-old kids playing football in the park, Pele was the one that you always wanted to be. So now I think it's beginning to sink in mm. that we don't have him anymore, that he's gone. And that has added, added I think, gravitas. That little pause, I think, has added gravitas to it. And at the moment, and now for the, for the next two hours, he's still lying in state in the center circle of the field, at, uh, the pitch at Santos that he graced for so long. Uh, he's lying, if you like, in his field of dreams. And if we're going to push the field of dreams comparison all the further, what we've seen over the last few hours is if you build his wake, they will come. Mm. In scorching summer heat, all the way through the night, 
they will come in their thousands and thousands and thousands to pay respects to the greatest diplomat that Brazil has ever had. That, of course, is the, the Vila Belmiro ground, the home of Santos, where he played uh, for most of his career. Um, I wanted to ask you about that. There's a Netflix doco uh, that's screening at the moment. I'm sure a lot of people have watched it. Um, and GQ magazine wrote an article about the doco and said that it had sort of set him up as almost the living foundation myth for Brazil, an avatar for the country that they'd been waiting for because prior to him, the nation had had something of a defeatist attitude. Is that overstating his importance or not? No, I don't think it is. Uh, and he, and you've got to blame Mr. Brusk, sir. You've got to blame the Uruguayans for this. <laughs> it's their fault. If they hadn't beaten Brazil in 1950, maybe the story would never have happened because you have a nine-year-old child watching his dad in tears listening to the radio because Brazil are losing the, the final of the 1950 World Cup to Uruguay and the nine-year-old child promises to have put this right, to avenge this. And what I think is really striking, we're all now, we're old enough to realise that 20 years just goes by in a puff of smoke. But you fast forward 20 years from 1950 to 1970. In 1950, Brazil are still wearing white. By 1970, just 20 years later, Brazil have won the World Cup for the third time. Pelé has won it for the third time. The yellow shirt has become absolutely iconic. Brazil have established themselves as the spiritual guardian, guardians of the beautiful game. And they, they are now the country that wins, that wins in style, and that wins in style with a smile on their face. And all of that is Pelé. They have become the country that for a month every four years, everyone wants to be. That's Pelé. That's why when Brazilians go abroad, even now, and they say, you know, people ask, where are you from? As soon as they say Brazil, they still get back this word Pelé. So I don't think that's overstating his importance at all. Tim, he played in a time when South Americans didn't automatically move to Europe, you know, definitely not like they do now. He, he played almost his entire career for Santos, a side of the stint with New York Cosmos, of course. Is it a pity that we didn't see him at a, you know, a Barcelona or Real Madrid? I don't think so, because there's a danger here that we're looking at yesterday's events through the prism of today. And uh, back then, firstly... Brazil didn't pick players who didn't play in Brazil. Even if you went to Argentina, that was the end of your international career while you were, while you were abroad. Secondly, South American football at that time paid at least as well, if not more, than European football, meaning that it retained its quality. So the level of football that he was playing was very, very high. And even, again, to, to, quote, to take us to Uruguay, the Uruguayan giants, Peñarol and Nacional, they could compete with anyone in the world then because the income is coming from the box office, not from the global TV market. One thing I do think is a shame about Pelé staying in South America with Santos is that uh, they won the Libertadores, South America's Champions League, twice. They followed that up, winning the Intercontinental Cup, beating the champions of Europe, first Benfica and then Milan. And the game in Lisbon against Benfica Pelé rated as the greatest of his career. But in the pre-TV age, you couldn't make money from these competitions. 
you couldn't make enough money to offset your travel costs. You were playing these competitions at a loss. So come the mid-60s, Santos, they need to pay Pele. They need to pay his supporting cast. It's a small city, Santos. It's a small stadium. How can you pay Pele to keep him there? Well, they abandoned the Libertadores and uh, they ended up spending their life a lot of time doing the economically rational thing, going around the world organizing friendlies, the kind of Harlem Globetrotters type thing. So I think that's a shame. And imagine, let's say, and I'm sorry to, to mention this one to you, Simon, but let's say 1968, Manchester United are the champions of Europe with Best and Charlton and Law. Now, United that year, they played the champions of South America, who were the roughhouses of the Estudiantes of Argentina. Imagine if that was still Santos. Mm. Imagine if they were still competing. Yeah. What a game we would have had there over two legs. Pure football between United and between Santos, between the best of Europe and the best of South America. So I do, I do bitterly regret the fact that for entirely understandable economic reasons, Santos pulled out of that international competition because, and the occasions that he gave us, that, that night in Lisbon against Benfica, it is astonishing. And it was a really big thing as well. It, it's a kind of chapter in football which unfortunately I think has been forgotten. But the first few years of those games between the champions of Europe and South America, they're absolutely fantastic games. Santos have won the first leg here in Rio, 3-2, only 3-2. So Benfica consider themselves the favourites back in Lisbon. And Pelé, who was always a big occasion player, the, the, the genius of Pelé is not in the statistical accumulation of a thousand goals. No, it, it's in the, the performances that he put in in the big games. And Pelé just runs riot. And he puts Santos 5-0 up. Benfica score a, a couple of late consolation goals. But it's like watching. There's only grainy YouTube footage, but it's well worth looking at. It's like watching someone from a different species. It's extraordinary. Uh, and uh, I think it's a real shame that we didn't get more of those occasions mm. because if we had, they would certainly be remembered a lot like his World Cup performances are still remembered. Absolutely. Um, one final one, Tim, before we let you go. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't a person without controversy off the field. Um, I've seen criticism of his uh, alleged passivity towards the right-wing military junta that, that ran Brazil in the 1970s, for example. His, his official FIFA record of 1,281 goals is disputed. Um, but it almost doesn't seem to matter, any of that stuff, because he was so revered around the world. And I guess... Uh, particularly so um, for the black communities, because along with Muhammad Ali, who came just a little bit after uh, Pele, they sort of broke down walls, didn't they, for black athletes right around the world. And that's something that seems to have been forgotten a little bit as well. Yes. And remember, Pele is born just 52 years after Brazil abolishes slavery. He's a shoeshine boy who ends up shining brighter than anyone else in, in the history of football. The comparison with Ali, I think, is interesting because Ali gives up the prime years of his career to make a political stand. And often this has been levelled at Pelé. He, he didn't do anything similar. Some of the more politicised uh, Afro-descendants in Brazil were always a bit angry with him for this. They thought that he could have done more. In some ways, I think that's a little bit unfair. Firstly, because I think we can expect too much at times from our sporting idols. 
but also because Ali had a movement behind him. Ali had a, had a black power, black Muslim movements that could educate him and support him. Pele didn't have anything like that. He, he was charting his own course. There was no movement around him. Uh, and I, I think the greatest thing of Pele was just the example that he gave. Uh, I think that's far, far more important than any, any declaration that he might have made or not have made. Because Pele, just by being the best, is sending out a message of what is possible to poor kids all over the planet. And that, I think, is the most important thing. Tim, we should have just devoted the entire show to you tonight. Uh, that is the best synopsis of Pele's yeah. life that I've heard uh, since his passing. Absolutely sensational, as is always the case. Thank you so much for your time. I'm going to let you go because we know you've got lots of other interviews to do. But uh, thanks again, mate. appreciate it. Thanks, Tim. And, and a dog to walk as well. So I've got to put him in, him in as well. Don't forget the dog. Stay, stay away from the Copacabana. It's dangerous, you know. Indeed. <laughs> thanks, Tim. My pleasure. That's uh, Tim Vickery, our South American correspondent, and just an absolutely brilliant reflection on the life of Pele.